Good morning, gentlemen. How's everybody doing this morning? We're uh, a little chilly. My heater went out a couple days ago, so bundled up <clears throat> last night. I told uh, the, the heater guy I was on the phone with trying to fix my heater, and uh, I was like, man, it was like 90 degrees the other day, and now it's freezing cold outside. It's Texas. But uh, hey, my name's Nathan. If I haven't met you, I serve on staff here in the role to uh, just serve on the equipping team, and uh, it's a privilege to be with you guys this morning. Let me open our time in prayer, and then we got a lot to cover, so, and not a whole lot of time to cover it in, which is pretty typical. So let me pray, and we'll, we'll get rolling. Well, Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to come together to uh, just lock arms this morning and be students uh, of Jesus. And we're grateful that you've given, given us uh, minds to learn and discern. And we open ourselves up to you to uh, receive your wisdom. You are the teacher. So we look to you. We need your help. Um, I pray that this passage would challenge us and that we would uh, walk away just encouraged to know uh, a little bit more about your character and your goodness to us. We pray these things to you, Father. In the name of your son, Jesus, the Messiah, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> well, hey, sometimes uh, when I talk to some of you guys, man, I've met or know a, a lot of you, and sometimes a common question I get from guys that are uh, studying the scriptures are, are, hey, how do you do this? Um, how do you... Uh, <clears throat> how do you crack open the scriptures? What's kind of your methodology? How do you, when, when you're coming to a passage, especially like, like the one we're going to look at this morning, uh, how do you even start to begin uh, to, to unpack this in a way that's responsible? And so I'm just going to spend the first couple of minutes here and just kind of object lesson show you. This is what I do. It's not the only way to do things, but I think it's a pretty good one. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. <clears throat> um, so... I think anytime you come to a text, uh, if you guys have ever heard me really say anything before up here, it's, uh, you've heard me say that the most important thing about studying any text, especially an ancient text that is from a world that could not have looked more different than the one you and I are in, the most important thing that you need to do is to establish the context. Context, context, context. Context is everything. Um, it, otherwise, we're going to come to a very strange text, and we're going to read our own. We're going to read that text through our own lens, without any contextual appreciation for the ancient Near East, for the ancient world, for the customs of Israel, for any of that stuff. A historical appreciation for what's going on and and who the players are, and we're going to read that that text through our own lens, and we're going to get it all kinds of wrong. Okay, it happens all the time. So. The first thing that I typically do when I come to a text is I go, hey, when is, when is this happening? In kind of the, uh, the, what's known as the meta-narrative, the, the broad story of the entire Bible, when is this taking place? And so when we come to Judges 10, um, we know, um, it, and a lot of times people are like, well, how do you know this? Look, a lot of, a lot of in, uh, pretty much if you have a good solid study Bible, the introduction to a book is going to tell you these things. Um, sometimes you'll have maps in your Bible um, or there's a ton of really good uh, online resources that you also can use uh, to get timelines and stuff like that to just kind of, and what it's doing is it's setting up the narrative for you. 
so that you're able to track along with, oh, this is what's going on. I mean, how many times, well, hopefully not a whole lot, but um, have you ever tried to just parachute into one point of a story without knowing anything that happened before or anything that happened after and, and actually understand what's going on? I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? So we have to understand the story. <clears throat> and so the period of the judges that we're talking about um, in this book for uh, this summit series started about 1360. Um, those are approximate dates, but about 1360 BC. So you had the Exodus in 1446-ish, right? And then they go into <clears throat> the Sinai Peninsula to Kadesh Barnea, which uh, I'll show you in a second. There's also really cool things you do with maps. But uh, they go to this place and they stay out there for 40 years. And then they come back around and the conquest period lasts from about uh, 1406 or 1400 until about 1360. And then in 1360, Joshua dies and the period of the judges begins. Okay, so that places us where we are in the meta narrative of scripture. But then the events in this chapter that we're looking at took place some 250 years after the judges period began. And if you know anything about Judges, which you guys know at least 10, 12 chapters of it, you know, then, then if you know anything about Judges, you know that it's this descent, this spiraling descent into deeper and deeper chaos. So the, the period of the Judges after the events of Jephthah only last about 50 more years. And so you're, we're talking about uh, being toward the end of that spiral into the descent uh, or the spiral of the descent into chaos. So Saul became Israel's first king uh, 50 years later in 1051, and that began the kind of united uh, monarchy or the united kingdom that lasted until about 931, um, until more chaos happened and the kingdom split and it all goes, you know, it all hits the fan. <clears throat> okay, so the translation, just doing this, taking a few minutes to just take, look at it and go, hey, when, when are we? in the timeline, and then you're able to place it to be like, oh, translation, things were not good in Israel, okay? Like, this was not anything that you read out of this section of scripture. You need to read it through the lens of people are totally jacked up, everybody's doing whatever they want, and it is not good, okay? That's, <clears throat> that is uh, when we are. Where are we? <clears throat> A lot of times, excuse me, <clears throat> A lot of times, um, when you hear all these strange city names or regions or kings or whoever, you're reading along and you're like, I mean, how many of y'all have uh, uh, been reading or you're listening to it on uh, audio or something like that? And you hear, you know, Gilead and uh, Ramoth Gilead and, and uh, Javoth uh, Jair and Tob and Mizpah and the, you know, and you're like, man, I don't know. It's somewhere over there, <laughs> you know, um, and which is totally fine. I mean, I don't expect you guys to be like experts at, you know, uh, uh, kind of the Israeli topography <laughs> or, or geography. But, um, but I would say, like, it's pretty easy when you see a word and you're reading along to just be like, hang on, time out. I don't know where that is. There's probably a map in your Bible that will show you where it is. So just take a minute. And go check it out, um, which I'll do here for you in a second. So Gilead, you have, the, you have the Sea of Galilee and then the Jordan River that kind of snakes down north to south. And you have the Dead Sea, which is one of the lowest points on earth. 
Um, they call it, anybody been to the Dead Sea, right? Probably quite a few of you have. <clears throat> um, it's the Dead Sea because there's a ton of salt in it because everything kind of just, all, all of the sediment stuff just empties into it. It has no outlet. So it, things go there to die, you know. But <clears throat> uh, just north of the Dead Sea, to the east of the Jordan River is the, the area or the region of Gilead, okay? Then to the north of Gilead is a, is a region called Tob. And that's kind of to the uh, Sea of Gal- or um, I'm sorry, Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea, uh, Gilead, and then to the southeast of the uh, Sea of Galilee is the region of Tob. It's north of Gilead, um, which is where Jephthah, after his brothers kicked him out, that's where he went. He's like, "Peace out, I'm going up north." And then you have Amon, and uh, some of y'all are like, "Oh, is that like Amon, Jordan?" And the answer is yes, it is. <clears throat> um, that. Those are the Ammonites. It's the region just east of uh, Gilead. So this is what it looks like on a map, okay? You have, again, the uh, Lake Kinneret or the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River snakes down to the Dead Sea. And then just to the east of the Jordan River, um, if I had a laser pointer, I would, or or one of y'all has a laser pointer, I bet. Um, But Gilead is here. And then the region of the Ammonites. So you see Rabab, the Ammonites, and then up where you see uh, Jair, up to the southeast of the Sea of Galilee, you keep going along that river. It's called the Jabbok River. You keep going along the river, and that's the area of Tob, right? So you can see Jephthah is right in the middle of all that because he traversed all of this land. You can also see it's pretty mountainous. So it's not like it's like, hey, I'm going to go walk next door, right? I mean, they're, um, when, when people are traveling, I mean, it takes a while. So... Uh, but that gives you a sense for um, where we are in the story. One point here, especially when it comes to uh, the book of Judges, a lot of times people think of uh, Israel as this like, uh, kind of like the United States or just take one state, right? Texas. And we're like, oh, Texas did this. And you think like the whole state or the United States did this. And you think of the whole country, but it's, it was never like that. These, when, when you hear these stories in Judges, think of like little tribal skirmishes in, in very localized places, okay? So it's never like the entire nation came together and there's these epic battle lines that are drawn. I mean, probably all of this, in fact, uh, we see this at the end of Jephthah's story because probably what happened is Jephthah um, fights the Ammonites in these skirmishes and he ends up defeating them. He ends up kind of uh, wiping them out, frankly. And then People just to the west of the Jordan River, right where it says Deborah, right there, um, that's Ephraim. And Ephraim comes along and they're like, wait a second, you fought the Ammonites without us? So they didn't even, they didn't even know what was going on, right? So instead of thinking about <clears throat> these, these judges coming and the, there's these epic battles, it's probably, it's probably much more like, you know, some dudes getting together and there's a skirmish and there, uh, some things change a little bit. Maybe some uh, power structure shifts, but most of the rest of the country is hearing about this way after the fact, right? Um, so that's where. And then who? <clears throat> who is the Canaanite gods? Uh, you, we have mentioned at the very beginning of the chapter, anytime <clears throat> a god is mentioned, you need to pay attention to that because the scriptures are all about Yahweh God, but he is not the only God in scripture. There's a ton of them right? And a lot of, especially a lot of what we see in the Old Testament is Yahweh competing with these other gods for Israel's allegiance. 
And so when you see these other gods pop up, instead of just reading it and going, I don't know who that is, you know, what, who in the world is Baal or Baal? Who is Ashtaroth? Who's Ishtar? Who's Asherah? You know, all these goddesses that are, it's like, man, I have no idea. Man, <clears throat> go, on, uh, go on that great and awesome, academically reputable website, Wikipedia. And, <clears throat> and uh, uh, so, uh, the fact that y'all didn't laugh at that is a little bit disturbing. <clears throat> but maybe it's just 640, I don't know. Um, or maybe it's just not that funny. Um, <clears throat> But go on Wikipedia. Wikipedia is, uh, you need to be careful using it because uh, it's a crowdsourced uh, thing, that uh, resource. But, uh, but it's a great place to start. And, and it's a good place to like find a good summary of, hey, this is what's going on. This is who this God is. This is, and while, some, while it may not be you know, an, an academically uh, reputable source, it will at least point you in the right direction. So do a quick search, you know. Who is Baal? Who is Ashtaroth? How is that different from Ishtar? How is that different from um, uh, Asherah? Because basically those three goddesses are basically the same goddess, but in three different cultures. Okay, Um, Baal and Ashtaroth, in this sense, um, are used in this text to just as a uh, euphemism for all of the gods, which is why... It's, it follows that this happens. What's really interesting is you have uh, mentioned in verse uh, 6, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Aram, Sidon, Moab, Ammon, and Philistia. And you're like, well, where are those places? Let me show you. All right, we'll go back to our map, okay? <clears throat> First, you have mentioned Sidon. If, if the map kept going, Along the Mediterranean coast, Sidon is up there. Then it mentions, um, um, then it mentions uh, Aram. And when you think Aram, uh, you need to think Damascus because it's Syria. Aram is Syria. Well, Syria is to the northeast of Israel. So you have Sidon, Aram. Then you have mentioned the Ammonites which are, or Ammon, which is, so you have north, northeast, east, then you have mentioned uh, Moab, um, which is just to the south of Ammon. And then you have Edom, which is, just, which is even further south, just south of the Dead Sea. And then you have Philistia. So what Yahweh is saying is he's going, hey guys, um, you're worshiping the Baals and the Asherahs. And what I mean by that is you're worshiping that God and 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 that God. Do you see what he's doing from a literary standpoint? It's like going around the dial of a clock and he's going, if there is a God, you're worshiping it. I mean, dadgum, you would worship a God to the West, except there's the Mediterranean Sea. And frankly, there was a God in the Mediterranean Sea. His name is Yom, but he was an evil dude and everybody was scared of him. So nobody really worshiped him. But they worship Baal because in the, in the uh, Baal cycle, Baal is the one who defeats Yom. So they're like, oh, sweet, we'll worship Baal. You know, they're worshiping everybody but Yahweh. <clears throat> that's what's going on. So that's the who. <clears throat> then you have the Moabite God um, who is Chemosh. And Chemosh and, and Molech kind of uh, resemble one another. Um, and there's, there's a lot of evidence that there's interchangeability there. But think of Chemosh as ju- and Molech both as just uh, a God who is generally uh, 
uh, helps people and brings prosperity. There's not a whole lot of like, hey, there's not, there's not these epic stories about these gods. It's just kind of like, hey, things are going really horribly bad. And so we need to appease the God who would make things better for us. That's Chemosh, the Moabite God. What's interesting is Israel goes against Moab at one point and they, they, uh, they come right up. It's really not funny, but they come right up to the wall and the Moabite king is like, is like I'm gonna show you how committed I am to your destruction. He takes his, he takes his heir, his only son, the, the next king of Moab, and he sacrifices him in the, on the top of the wall in front of Israel. And Israel is like, oh, dang, peace out. And they leave. So there's, there's this really horrible child sacrifice that is part of the worship cult to Chemosh. That's the Moabite god. Again, Moab um, is just to the south of Ammon or Ammon. Then you have Molech. Molech is the Ammonite god, um, which is interesting in this story because Jephthah, who doesn't really know what he's talking about, which we'll get to that in a second, he switches those and he makes Molech the, uh, he makes uh, Chemosh the Ammonite god. Um, but uh, that's a rabbit trail. <clears throat> I like chasing rabbits though. Squirrel! <clears throat> um, the Ammonite god though also required child sacrifice. Uh, Molech, you see this all throughout the Old Testament. Um, the Lord is like, hey, don't do that. And then you've got the who. So you've got Jephthah, who is the son of Gilead, which we already identified where Gilead is, just to the east of the Jordan. And his dad was Gilead. But his dad slept with a prostitute. And the fruit of that relationship was Jephthah. But then Gilead's wife also had a bunch of sons. And when they grew up, they were like, hey, dude, you're not getting any of our inheritance. There's no cut here for you. So you probably ought to just leave. And so he does. He goes north to Tob, which we saw along the Jabbok River, he goes up to Tob and then uh, hangs out with a bunch of dudes and basically forms a gang. Um, so not a reputable guy. And then there is this unnamed Ammonite king. Um, so then we have, that's the who, and then we have the what. Um, the what is the Ammonites decided they wanted to attack Gilead. And they didn't just attack Gilead. It was kind of a multi-front uh, military uh, campaign by the Ammonites. They attacked Gilead. Mizpah, they actually crossed the Jordan and attacked the Benjamites and, the, and uh, Ephraim and Judah. But then they retreated from there because the Gileadites were like, hey, we're, we actually have a guy who has a sword now, and so we're going to fight you. So it kind of coalesced back into this one uh, kind of united front against Jephthah. So that's the, uh, the Ammonites were, uh, and, and Israel cries out to the Lord, help us. And the Lord is like, dude, you keep crying out to me and you, then you go worship other gods. Like, go call on them, you know, see where they are. And, uh, but then ultimately they get, rid of the, they get rid of the idols and all this stuff and then they ultimately, the Lord uh, delivers them through Jephthah. So then the elders of Gilead, the same dudes that kicked him out uh, years before, go back to him and they're like, hey, uh, we don't really have a leader to help us. Do you mind doing it? And they make him... Uh, the leader over Gilead, and he comes down. But before he does that, he sends a letter to uh, he sends a letter to the Ammonite king, and he's like, "Hey, dude, why are you all up in our grill?" And <clears throat> the king goes back and is like, "Hey, you took our land." And Jephthah replies back to him, and he's like, "No, no, 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 no. We actually went around your land through the uh, through the Amorites and." Uh, when we did that, we intentionally stayed out of your land, but Yahweh gave us this land and now you're trying to take it away from us. So back off. 
And the Ammonite king, who, who had no legitimate claim on the land, was like, nope, we're not backing off. We want your land. And so they end up fighting. Well, um, I don't know how many times you guys have ever been in an all-out fight with swords with other people, right? But it, um, I can imagine it's probably not a real pleasant experience. I mean, uh, today, today's day and age, you know, we, when combat happens, most of the time, we're enge- you know, people are engaging w- with one another uh, with direct fire weapons, which is like your you know, AR-15 or sniper rifles or indirect weapons like mortars and, or you've got fast movers and they're dropping bombs, you know. Dude, I don't know if y'all saw that uh, video that got released on al-Baghdadi's compound. I mean, they dropped some bombs on that dude. Just boom! <clears throat> he ain't there no more. But, uh, when, but combat in the ancient world was, was deeply personal. You're not shooting somebody with a bullet. You're like thrusting a metal object into the body of another human being. And blood comes out and gets all, it's, it's dirty and messy and you're breathing and sweating on one another and it's just not a pleasant business. Right. And Jephthah knows this. I mean, he's, he's, he's a warrior. He's part of uh, the ancient world in that sense. And so before he goes up against an enemy who potentially could wipe him out, he's like, hey, I kind of want some assurance that this is going to work, which is not uncommon. You see this all over the place. But when he does that, um, he does what, because he doesn't know God, the character of God, because he doesn't know uh, the instructions of the Lord through Torah, because he doesn't because he's not a faithful servant to Yahweh, what he's doing is he's, he's, he's taking all of the cultural norms of all of the other peoples around him and he's applying those things as if they applied to Yahweh. And so he goes, well, man, people offer sacrifices to Kamosh and Molech and Dagon and Hadad and Baal I'll just, I'll do the same thing with Yahweh. And, and so he makes this stupid vow that, all right, Lord, I'm gonna obligate you. If you give me victory over my enemies, then I'll sacrifice the first thing, first thing that comes out of my house if I'm victorious. So he's victorious and he goes home and who comes out of the first, who's the first one out of his door? His only child, a virgin daughter. And he's like, oh, tears his clothes. And, and he says something really interesting. He's like, I cannot break this vow to the Lord. Bull crap. Yes, you can, right? Which brings up some questions. Like, was, was Jephthah's vow legitimate? And, and Jeremiah 32, 35, Yahweh says, I never commanded to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech, nor did it enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. So the answer to was it legitimate is no. Yahweh never commands him to do this. If anything, Yahweh is sitting there going, dude, are you serious? Don't treat me like Molech. Don't treat me like Kamosh. That's not who I am. Like the thing that you're doing is is you, you, the very people that you just defeated, you're taking on their practices and are treating me like their God. 
Are you serious? And you're like, well, okay. So Jephthah's like, well, but I can't break the vow. And I'm like, well, then if you knew Torah, even though it wasn't a legitimate vow, and you could have just been like, hey, I'm sorry, that was stupid, and just went about your way, which is totally the right thing. Um, instead, if, even, if, even if you wanted to uh, keep this rash vow, the Torah provides a way out. Leviticus 27, suppose someone uh, makes a special promise to set a person apart to serve the Lord. Here's how much it will cost to set that person free from the promise to serve. And then there's all these like based on gender and age and all that stuff. This is the cost for a female between the ages of five and 20 is four ounces of silver. Hey man, you got some pocket change? Then the question, well, should Jephthah have carried out this vow? And Yahweh literally says this. You must not worship the Lord your God the way that they or the Canaanites worship their gods. When they worship, they do all kinds of evil things Yahweh hates. They even burn up their children in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. Jephthah did not know the Torah. He was a brigand. He was a, he was a gang leader. He was an idiot. He might have been able to wield a sword, but... In every other aspect of from what we see, this is not a good thing. He's not a good dude. And he definitely did not know Torah. He also did not know the character of Yahweh. If he had known the character of Yahweh, he would have known that to even suggest that we should ever sacrifice another human being was detestable to Yahweh. Why would God make somebody in his image with the full dignity of humanity made in the image of God and then be like, oh yeah, burn this thing up? Some of y'all might be thinking, well, uh, what about Abraham and Isaac? What about One of the interesting things about that story, which is really fascinating, is God does command child sacrifice with Abraham um, because Abraham had come out of these similar type cultures and he's acting as if he is one of these gods and then Abraham actually puts his son on the altar and what does Yahweh do? He's like, no, 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 hang on, time out, object lesson, I'm not like the other gods. In fact, I'm so not like the other gods, not only am I not going to require your son's life, I am going to give you my son's life. That's who God is. Come on. But Jephthah was so far gone, he was just acting like everybody else. The people he had just defeated. <clears throat> and then Israel was so far gone, they wanted to be like the pagan nations. At the end of the book of Judges, um, which... Buckle up, man. It only gets a lot worse from here. But, and you're supposed to hate this. You're supposed to hate the book of Judges. What's fascinating too is, anybody know who the hero is in the book of Judges? Is there a hero in the book of Judges? Huh? Close, no cigar. The hero in the book of Judges is Ruth. Because around this same time, there's a little Moabite girl crossing the Jordan River, coming over and marrying a guy um, named Boaz. And from her line comes David, the king. And from his line comes Jesus, the Messiah. In the midst of all this turmoil and chaos, you have faithfulness, the faithfulness of Yahweh, not through the big strong guy, 
but from this itty-bitty Moabite girl. And that's the way God works, man. He's like, see the weakest thing among you? That's what's going to demonstrate my strength. But hey, we like power. We like kings. We want a king like those other nations. And Yahweh's like, are you kidding me? So how does this show up today? Because we definitely do the same thing. Um, I'm not talking about your sacrificing your child. Hopefully you're not doing that. If you are, then we can talk about it. But um, hopefully that's not happening. But how do we do this? Uh, I think contemporary examples of this would be something like, hey, Lord, man, I really need that business deal. I really need that to come through. So kind of like, what do I got to do? What do I got to do to make sure those guys will sign, on, sign this contract? Hey, hey, Lord, my kid or my wife is really sick or I'm really sick. What do I got to do? What do I have to do to obligate you? Different context, same principle. And what, and what I would tell you is, is a lot of times we treat, we treat God like he's a trinket. We treat him as if he is somebody who can be manipulated. And all I have to tell you is, God is not like Molech. Yahweh is not like Kamosh. He's a good father who loves you. He wants to be with you. He goes way out of his way to be with you, not to make everything right so you get that big deal and everybody's healthy all the time and all that stuff. No, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the disorientation, in the midst of the pain, Yahweh is there with you. That's the power of God. The witness of God with you in your pain, redeeming it. Coming like a little Moabite girl across the river. Coming in from behind to put his arm around you. And in the midst of the chaos and the pain to go, hey, it's okay. I am with you. And when God is with you, you will not fail. Lord, thanks for this time. Thanks for this passage. Thanks for how you challenge us to see you as holy other, not like any other God. I pray that that would seek deep into our souls, that we would trust you as a good father who, who is looking out for us, who loves us, not to take all, necessarily take all the pain away, at least not now, you will eventually, but I pray that in the midst of whatever is going on with us today, that we would have a keen sense of your presence with us, not as someone to be manipulated, but as someone who is close and near and palpable and love. We offer you this morning and the rest of the day, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, these announcements, sign in, print a name tag. If you don't have a small group, stay in here. Hill Bowman, who's right over here, and Rob Heath, who's somewhere else, will lead the open group. If your group meets in the West Tower, use the Sky Bridge. And then also this Saturday, uh, starting at 9 a.m., we have training day right here. So if that's another equipping opportunity you want to take advantage of, then we'll see you on Saturday. All right? You guys have a great day of worship.